Hi, everyone, and welcome to our podcast at the Rectory. I'm Ian. I'm Katie. And I'm Emily. We are three friends who at some point or another all lived in a tiny blue house in Cincinnati that we have affectionately named the Rectory. And together, we have filled it with... Memories. Long hours of PhD work. Parties. And a saggy three-legged couch we just can't seem to part with. I like that. Musical sting. That's all, folks. No, I mean, I'm just whipping up a lot of these cultural references as I continue to spend my time in the U.S., so... Better, uh, I'd better go here. So you, we're you, good. Yeah, we're all connected. Yeah. We sound good. Yeah, exactly. So but it's always fun, David. Bye. <laughs> well, he's well, fun. He is fun. Uh, yeah. So without him, I lost many recordings, and it was very stressful to do this. And so he's kind of our master planner, and it's like wonderful load off of me. But Michelle, I want to introduce you to Katie. And then, Katie, this is Michelle. Michelle and I have known each other for forever, but we reconnected recently over the loss of our parents. So she lost her father, and I lost mom this year. Um, So we've kind of reconnected, and it's been really wonderful. But yeah, so these worlds colliding. (laughs) And how did you guys originally know each other? Through school? Yeah, third grade. She moved to the United States. Or second grade. It was Mrs. Smigelski, yes, so second grade. And yeah. I was the good kid in class. The teacher told me that I had to be friends with Anne and show her around and stuff. And I was like, ew, I don't want to do that. <laughs> Why me? <laughs> Why do I have to do it? Well, because you're you're nice and responsible and you're whatever. <laughs> you're a real good eight-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> now having the eight-year-old I was too, Michelle. Yeah. Now having kids, I totally get it. My kid would not be picked for that job. (laughs) (laughs) I love that so much. But yeah, so we're just going to, we're going to dive in. So I'll do our proper intro. Hi, everyone. Welcome to At The Rectory. We have a really wonderful guest on for you today, Michelle Pelton, and she is going to talk to us about her vocation with like, Michelle, you're going to have to help me with the language here, but I just call you a healer. But how would you describe kind of the work that you're doing? So healer is a great term for it. The way that I got into it is called the Certified Healers Course. So healer is a great word. Um, But I was trying to come up with a word for you. And um, (laughs) it's more of a conglomeration of words. So I would say healer, artist, and a guide. I feel like a guide is a good description of it. But you kind of have to preface it with those other things so that you understand what I'm guiding you to do. (laughs) (laughs) So Michelle, we're calling this season our after hours season. To set it up, what do you do? What would you consider what you do full time? I am a stay-at-home mom, um, and it was always a dream of mine to do, and I just thought I would never be able to financially. Um, And when I lost my job at the Metro Parks, I was forced to, and so then we had to just figure it out, and we ended up being able to have just one income, so I was lucky enough to be a stay-at-home mom. So now I get to do that, and it takes up 100% of my time. (laughs) (laughs) There's no, like, not time where you're not doing that. Right. So to do something like the Certified Healers course, I've had to 
make the time. I have to cut it out. I put it on the schedule and I make it a priority. Like I get a babysitter so that I can do these Zoom calls and things like that. I've, I've made it important in my life so that I have something for me that's not just my kids. How many kids and like what are their just- ages? Just two. The oldest one is going to be four in February. So he's almost four now. And then the young one is, she turned one in October. So just about one and a half. Okay. Very young, very energetic. um, And during a pandemic. So like you don't get to go out and be with people. So it feels like a lot. (laughs) I feel like we have so many moms who listen to the podcast are like, feel the way you're feeling of like, how do I craft that space? How do you do that? Um, so I've, when I started the course, I made the commitment to myself that I was going to show up to all of the classes and I was going to figure out how to make it happen. My mom has always been the one to watch my kids. Um, and I was lucky because through the pandemic, she was in my bubble. So I didn't mind her like being near my kids. Um, cause my daughter was, I was pregnant with her and she was born during the height of the pandemic. So like we were a bubble family for sure. And so I don't have a specific location. It's wherever I am in that moment. Um, Sometimes the kids are in the background jumping around. Like you can see like a head over here for the first like six months, Willow would sit on my lap because she wanted to be with me every second. So she was part of the zoom, you know, they'd put me on mute so that I didn't distract everybody. And, (laughs) and she would sit there and she wanted to be part of the course. So until she got a little bit older, she was at every zoom meeting with me. So yeah, I just, I just made it a priority. I I love the language that you're using about like, I made a promise to myself and like you kept that promise. And I like really admire just like the kind of grit and tenacity it takes to like, nope, I promised myself because I'm sure there are days in those six months that you were like, no, I can't possibly make this work. What is it about this work in particular that really pulls like attracts you like pulls you in like makes this something that you can prioritize so i've struggled with depression and anxiety for ever um and a lot of people can relate to that and it was something outside of medication and outside of therapy that i could turn to um so it's what i considered holistic healing and holistic meaning whole like mind body and spirit it's been such a good outlet for me to express myself, to find new ways to support myself in in the depression. So that was the driving factor for me was just finding another outlet um, and another way to heal myself. And then because of the way that I've chosen to do it, I like to spread it. So I feel like once you find something that's awesome, you shouldn't keep it to yourself. And <laughs> I'm a teacher by nature. So it's just like, I want to share what I know. Yeah. You know, one of the things we talk about on this podcast a lot is the fact that we don't go it alone, that there are so many people who share things with us and reveal like what works for them. So many teachers and mentors in our lives. Um, And you said you're kind of a teacher by nature, but was there someone who introduced you to this or did you find it on the internet? Like, how did you get started in this world? Um, My mother-in-law is very open-minded and I would say very weird. And my mom, on the other hand, is very like, you would say conservative. She's not like religious conservative, but conservatives as of like, she called it hoodoo and voodoo and all this stuff when I would start talking about it. So I was super like, ew, it's weird. I'm not doing that stuff. When my mother-in-law started talking about essential oils, that's how she got me in. And I kept telling her, I'm not a salad, stop putting oil on me. 
<laughs> and I literally, she would put oil on me every time I came over to her house. And I'm like, you are weird woman. Like this <laughs> is weird. And then she took me to a metaphysical fair where there's like readers and vendors of crystals and things. And I was like, okay, this is weird, but uh, this is where I belong. Uh, <laughs> these are my people. So it was really hard because my family was super like, that's hoodoo. And my husband's family's all like, woo, crystals. So it was really hard for me to find that balance of, is it okay for me to like this? Mm -hmm. And so it's st that's still something I struggle with is like, I feel very um, nervous to introduce the topic to anyone because I know how both sides of the spectrum feel. So like with Anne, I never would have approached the subject because I thought she grew up very religious. <laughs> so when I have a crystal on, if someone says, oh, I like your insert crystal name oh you know crystals you have you're you're weird like me okay now we can have a conversation i never open it up first i let them like i don't ever jump in <laughs> i think that background though it helps you be aware of, and helps you communicate with so many different kinds of people well i was trying to think of the right language for this because i think we use it in other types of subcultures but uh and is this code switching yeah when you kind of pick like which vocabulary or what you're going to forefront in your conversation with someone, or there's got to be language around when you meet someone and you're trying to see if they're sort of part of your tribe a little bit, or if they're, if they're an ally. And that's exactly what I feel like you're describing, Michelle. That's so interesting. It is. Yeah. And like I said, all it takes is one crystal necklace. If someone says, I love your kyanite, I love your clear quartz. And you're like, oh, you know, words, not just, I like that pretty necklace. You know, it has to be a specific word that you said. And it, it is, it's like this like secret language that we have. <laughs> so kind of hearing how you got started and how you're kind of moving forward, what is your future look like in this vocation? So my trajectory right now is I just, I guess you could say graduated from my class. I officially got my certification. Yay. I'm on month 10 of the class. So we are now working on what do I have to offer and how can I offer it? So Anne participated in my final. And that is really what I want to offer. I want to guide. Um, so it's a like a guided meditation. And then I do a card pull from Oracle deck, not tarot, but tarot is not as scary as everybody thinks it is. It actually originated from a deck of playing cards and then it got a really bad connotation. But anyway, um, so then I do a card pull um, and give them kind of a message that we could think about. And then we do a painting based on that card. So the painting is an intuitive painting. You're not a trying to make a picture. So you're not trying to make like a flower or a uh, butterfly you're just painting whatever comes through in that moment and whatever feels right in whatever um that topic was that we talked about with the card and maybe that card didn't resonate with you and you just felt like drawing about something else um, but so basically it's like a guided art experience that i want to offer an experience that's a good that's a good word for it i like that i think that's a great word katie do you have a question i have many questions <laughs> i'm sure you do <laughs> My Well, my first one, I wonder, um, this would be helpful to me that would be helpful with my language moving forward in questions, Michelle, is that actually with some of the, the history work that I do, often um, there's sort of these blurry edges between religion and medicine that I look at, and I keep struggling to give a, um, like a name to what I'm 
whatever is the medical standard. Uh, like I've tried the word orthodox medicine. I've tried like hegemonic medicine. And I'm curious in what you do in like this healing community, is there language that you use, for example, for what your family is deeply invested in that, that the, the direction that you were coming from when at first you thought your mother-in-law was weird? Is there sort of a, a category or language that you use to describe what I assume you're asking is my side of the family. Um, my sister is a doctor, a medical doctor. Uh -huh. So it makes it really difficult to broach the subject with them. So yeah. I would call that Western medicine that she practices. Okay. What I do would be holistic healing. So it's not, I'm not a medical practitioner. I have no medical license. I'm a, a, a spiritual healer, but holistic is the best word that I use to describe it because holistic like i'd said encompasses mind body and soul so it means eating healthy it means practicing mindfulness it means doing yoga so all of the things wrapped into one awesome Does that, make sense? that yes that helps me do you find and i know you said you just passed your um like certification but it sounds like you're also already meeting with people so i'm curious do people frequent when they come to you do most of the people come because they are in crisis or because they're looking to have a more full uh life and maybe connection to their body or even like social connection what is it that most often brings people to you in what you do well i appreciate that you think i have people um oh. <laughs> <laughs> um the people that i had was actually people that i invited specifically to do a final for this class got it um and so the people in the future that i'm hoping to bring will be people that like me so someone who wants an alternative so maybe they are really in a low point and looking to clear some negative energy out to get a new mindset a new direction um just somewhere maybe they feel a little lost you know you don't have to be in a crisis you don't have to have depression just somebody who needs some guidance needs some hope um, some time to themselves is really what it comes down to for me, because as a stay-at-home mom, the the self-care time, the alone time is so important to me. Um, so maybe it, the people that I want are just moms who need two hours to themselves, you know. But yeah, that's that's the kind of people I hope to attract. But no, I don't have I don't have people yet. I, I specifically handpicked everyone for my class because they each brought something different to the table. Like my brother was one of them, and he is very much like my family, very medical. He's an engineer. He's very left brain. He's like, you know, I don't believe any of that, but he had the most profound experience and it was amazing because he was like, I'm mad at how much I liked that. Yeah. <laughs> he did. He was like, I thought I was just here to give you feedback and to tell you how you could improve. And he's like, and I'm irritated that I really enjoyed that and had a profound experience. And I'm like, well, there you go. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and there's so much about what, what you kept saying in class because, and I do think that there are so many people who have this kind of mindset of like, I have to do it right. It has to be the right thing. And you kept having this language of like, whatever comes is supposed to come. Like whatever, like in the art or in kind of how you're feeling, like we're just going to accept all of it. We're not going to say, oh, this painting is stupid. Why am I so bad at this? Oh, this is, oh, why do I feel that? And, and kind of compartmentalize or push things away. And I feel like you offer are offering just this path of just like, here's what we have. Even when you were describing all of the artistic kind of equipment that you would need, you're like, 
you can use this kind of watercolor or I stole this watercolor from my kids. Um, you can use this kind of paper or like, or this kind of paper. It's like, even from the beginning, you set up this atmosphere where it's going to be okay. And there's no wrong way to do this. And I feel yes, like in the world, exactly. it feels like there's a wrong way to do things. Yes. It's a, it's a, an experience of acceptance of yourself and your feelings and just allowing yourself to be exactly how you are in that moment without judgment. I feel like that's the best way to describe what I want you to be <laughs> in that in that space. I feel like the world needs a heck ton more of that. And we have a lot of people who come from a lot of religious backgrounds. And so there is definitely that kind of wariness sometimes of this kind of third space um, that you're offering. But I feel like when you boil it down to that, it's like, oh, we all like that pulls I feel like at everyone's kind of heart. That's why my language is so important. If I use the wrong words, it super turns people off. And it's just a word. It's a stupid word. But I, if I use the exact right word, if I can get to the point where I can just say, I just want you to be and accept and that kind of language that's not even about healing or about anything like that, then you are open to it. You know, you're like, oh, it's about me. It's not about what you believe. Yeah. And that just gives space. So I really admire you for the very careful, careful work that you are doing. Well, Michelle, I'm, we don't have to talk about anything that you don't want to talk about, but I'm, I'm curious, was your experience with your father part of a catalyst of moving you forward into this promise that you made yourself and the pursuit of this healing? Or was this something you were doing beforehand? And if so, would you be willing to share about um, did you give care to your to your dad kind of as in his end of life transition? So my dad had ALS, um, Lou Gehrig's disease. So he was sick for four years, officially okay. diagnosed, um, but it takes forever to get diagnosed with it because it's a process of elimination one. So he had back surgeries and things that actually made him worse because they had the wrong diagnosis for so long. Um, but um, so four years diagnosed and my mom was his 100% sole caregiver, 24-7, 365. And I would go over there like three times a week. I was always at their house. And I would just come over because I felt depressed. And then they, I would come over with my kids and I'm like, I need to get rid of these kids. I need your help. And they're like, oh, thank God you're here. We need you so much. Like you are, you are what's keeping us going. You're keeping us alive. You're keeping us from killing each other. Because Mm -hmm. together that much is really (laughs) hard. And then when he got to the point where he literally couldn't move anything but his eyes, so he had an eye tracker, like he couldn't scratch his nose, he couldn't position his hand if it fell asleep. Like literally every movement he had to make, my mom had to do. So my God, they hated each other. (laughs) It was just, so when we would come over, it was this, relief. We would offer distraction. My kids were totally invested in my dad. My, my son, my son would put lotion on his legs. He would put cream on his toes. Like he took care of my dad. He knew how to do the breathing treatments. He's only three and he would like get the breathing mask on and do his breathing treatment. So like we were deep into this, but my course just started uh, 2021 it's a full year course and I'm on month 10. So okay. pretty close to now. Um, and my dad passed in November. 
So I was already well into the course when he died, but also well into his sickness. So, yeah, I mean, it probably had a contributing factor. It's hard to say because with such a long disease, I mean, the depression, it comes and goes, you know, the first initial diagnosis, there's most of the anger and sadness and everything. And then it's just acceptance and living with it. And this is the new normal. Did it help you with your experience of this end of life process with your dad, what you were learning? And if so, like what, what so was it that helped you with that? It did. They actually helped both. So him dying and the class, it was like um, a symbiotic relationship. So when he was in the hospital, like physically dying, I felt brave enough to share what I had been learning in class with my family. Oh, wow. It was really weird and really profound because I, it was very vulnerable. Like I brought my crystals in and I put them on my dad's body and I like did a guided meditation for him in the hospital. And that was like very, very raw to allow my other family members to see me do that. It was like I said, both him dying helped me to feel like I could be me in front of them. But it also, it was just a really cool experience to finally like be okay with being myself. And it was because of him. Mm. So. There's this really beautiful um, picture of you, Michelle, that you posted just a, a few days. I know he was in the hospital for a while, um, but a few days before he passed where you are, I think you're at Oak Openings, you're at a park, um, and you took this really beautiful picture of you meditating and the, like the sun's lighting up your face and you just like the caption is something like just trying to feel. And that for me signaled just so much of my grief experience I recognized in that photo and like really felt like you were showing up for yourself and you were, and it wasn't this like, I've fixed it. I've solved it. I've moved on. I've had the feelings and now I'm done. It was, I'm just trying. <laughs> Can you talk about that moment or what it was like? When he went to the hospital, he was there for like 12 days before he died, I think. And it was a horrendous roller coaster of, well, you might be able to take him home or he's going to die in 30 seconds, like literally every five minutes. It was horrendous. So it was very, very, very emotionally draining because we're like, I literally asked him while he was conscious because he'd, he'd be conscious and he's still intubated. Like it's, it was horrible. So it was emotionally taxing. So I took my family out to the park for some nature therapy. We call it forest bathing. Um, and we just walk and enjoy being outside and feeling, oh, feeling the largeness of everything and it makes you feel smaller and whatever. Um, and then me saying that I'm just trying to feel, cause I didn't know how I was supposed to feel. Was I supposed to be rooting for him to get better? Was I supposed to be rooting for him to be done with his fight? It was just such a confusing thing. Like I knew that he was done fighting, but should I fight for him to live? Like that it seemed wrong to fight for him to die. So I was like, I just want to feel something. And I don't know what that is. So I just, I just allowed myself to, to be that way, you know? And, and so that's, that's why I posted it. Cause it's very real. Like it's okay to not know how to feel. And we all felt the same way. We're like, should be, we, are we rooting for him or are we not rooting for him? And what, what is best for him? Mm. You said this earlier, you said that there's this thing about like, when you find something really wonderful, you have to share it. That photo was so beautiful and so poignant, but also, also worth sharing. And it's, not like the bright, shiny, like breakthrough moment. It's the kind of in-between messy, beautiful moment. And so that takes a lot of vulnerability to do. 
can you talk about, I don't know, your journey with being vulnerable and being open? Was that something that like you had to cultivate or do you kind of, did you already have that kind of instinct even like growing up? Both. Um, so I have a hard time being open about my, I even hate to use the word spirituality. I'm, I have a hard time being open about that. But as far as like my perceived life, like, you know, being a mom, doing the normal things, I have no problem sharing about that and being like, oh, this is hard. This sucks, blah, blah, blah. I have no problem with that. But it, when it comes to things like like that photo, that is that was very difficult for me to share that kind of thing, being being vulnerable, like for real that it, it has been difficult for me forever. And I feel like the class helped me in so many ways to, to learn how to be more open about it. And because you're brave, other people can be brave. And I feel like that your learning to be vulnerable makes you a wonderful guide for others. Cause you're like, I, right. You know, it's like, well, someone who's like, it's always easy for them. You're kind of, you don't trust them, (laughs) but someone who's like, oh gosh, no, I really wrestle with this. And here's my practice. Like, here's what I'm trying to do. I feel like people are much more willing to sit with them as their teacher and their guide and be like, okay, tell me, you know, share with me how you wrestle. How did you survive that? (laughs) Yeah. And with what you're doing too, Michelle, there's such a low level of hierarchy. Like when you hear from somebody who's, who, when you're in a very like hierarchical environment and they say, I am suffering just like you, even if it's really true, I have a distrust if they're, you know, way up front and behind a podium and with a microphone, but someone who's guiding in such an intimate level, like face-to-face level, the way it sounds like you're doing it, the, the empathy and the, the interpersonal understanding, I feel like is so much easier because we don't have those, those layers of power in between us uh, that make it difficult to connect and difficult to empathize. So I think yet yeah, this work, and it's different too, right? Because we, ha- we struggle with this with our doctors that even if we have education of a different kind, they have so many years, decades sometimes of work and specialty in the place where we have need and talking to them about what we need and advocating for ourselves can feel like an uphill battle. But going to someone who is kind of at your level, even though they have the specialized knowledge, feels like very accessible and very healing for people who are struggling and maybe struggling in very vulnerable ways. Yeah, I totally agree. It's easier. It feels like they're not talking down to you. They're talking to you and you're having a conversation. It's a back and forth, not just to them preaching at you about all the things that they know, letting you guide yourself and, and lead and they, and they just help guide you. You're, you're the leader of your journey. Michelle, another part of your life that's super wonderful and I feel like healing in a way and you're kind of incorporating it is your art. Can you tell us kind of your personal art history or your growth and use of art or why does art um, kind of make sense to you? So many things. So in high school, I was on the honors track and the school that we went to was extremely competitive. It was really a toxic environment when you look back at it, like it was not a healthy place to be. So I was in the honors track and if you took anything less than honors, you were less than. So I tried to take art classes and they would be like, why are you taking an art class? You're wasting your time. 
so it was like but i want to and they're like but it won't help your gpa and i'm like i don't care and then the art teachers would be like well you don't have the the you don't have the drive to be an artist because you are too busy with academics so my art teachers in high school told me not to go into art because i didn't have what it takes and i was like cool okay so nobody really was happy with the direction i was going the art teachers didn't the the other people didn't i'm like okay cool I'm going to do what I want then because nobody seems to like it. So I went into art and I got accepted into the art program at Bowling Green, which I thought was a really big deal because my art teacher told me I couldn't do it. And I was like, well, screw you. <laughs> I went into Bowling Green as a graphic design major is what I started as. Hated it. Hated it. They had told me when I went in that I would get to do like still pen and paper stuff. And that was a complete lie. That was BS. So I switched majors because I was unhappy and hated it. And I, I wanted to make pots for a living. I wanted to be a ceramicist, you know? And my mom's like, please major in something you can make money in. Like that is, that is really a great dream, honey, but please make some money. So I went into art education with a focus in three-dimensional art and focus in ceramics. So I, I taught art for a couple of years out of college, which was a complete disaster because I, I taught at all charter schools and they were awful. I did not learn how to uh, manage children that well at Bowling Green. So I had a very horrendous experience and was totally turned off to teaching art. And I'm like, but I've always wanted to teach art, just not in a classroom capacity. Like I can't live by the bell. It's you know, I'm throwing supplies at them and they have 20 minutes to do it. And then we have to clean it all up and then I have to get it all out for the next class. And it, oh, it was stressful. I hated it. It was not conducive to creativity. It was not, not what I wanted. What I actually wanted to go into was like art therapy. But when I graduated, there was no like niche for that. You had to go to a special school and nobody, who's going to hire an art therapist. And so it's <laughs> funny that I've kind of become an art therapist in yeah. my own way now. And so I could have gone into art therapy <laughs> had I known what life would throw at me. So now I'm actually doing what I wanted to do. It just took a while <laughs> to get there. Ladies, so I just have to tell you that the, one of the doggies that I'm dog sitting is asleep with his chin on my leg and he <gasps> is woofing in his sleep. Oh, <laughs> boof, boof. <laughs> Baby. My dog runs in his sleep. <laughs> um, Michelle, so much of that journey, like so much of kind of tangentially what we talk about on the rectory um, is that life is kind of a twisty, turny journey and our kind of, you know, like our vision of it when we're younger doesn't often kind of turn out exactly how we thought. But what strikes me about kind of what you are saying and what you're describing is just the, again, that tenacity of carving out a path despite what people are telling you and despite like what people kind of think and that you always were saying like, well, what is making me happy and what's fulfilling? And it's really nice to talk to you now to see you kind of really living into that vocation that you were kind of hunting for during the whole way. Do you kind of feel like you've arrived? Yeah, I do. And I'm, I'm sad that it took me so long, but it also, it took so much self-confidence to do it because you had to be willing to stand up to people and fight for what you wanted, despite what their many, many opinions were. So yeah, it, Tenacity is a really good word for it. Like I have stuck to my guns and decided that I'm going to do what makes me happy because it's my life I have to live. 
So I decided, why would I, why would I do something else that, that is for someone else? And that took a lot of years to get to that point. What do you think you'll tell your kids about that? I mean, it sounds like you're already apprenticing your son in caregiving, but how do you think you'll talk to them about vocation and the purpose of their life as they get older? Well, I've already, I decided long ago that, so in my family, college was not an option. You had to do it. Um, I wanted to be a hairdresser and my mom said, you can do that after college. You may not just go to Penna. Penna is our trade school um, and you can go in high school. Well, that's where the dumb kids went and uh, so on and so forth. I am like, if my kid doesn't want to go to college and wants to be a plumber, he can be a plumber. And if that's what's going to do it for him, like people need tradesmen. There's less and less of them. And now everyone's college educated, has a bunch of debt and doesn't use their degree. Well, that's stupid. If you want to do this, go ahead and do it. So I am, because of my forced journey, I am super open to whatever they want to do. Obviously, I want them to be able to make enough money to live because I've lived without money, but you can live with very little. So if it makes them happy, I'm cool with it. <laughs> I love that. Like so many people in our generation kind of, yeah, we're, we're told a specific narrative and then our experience is different. And we're like, wait, it's not lining up with, you told me if I went to college that I would live this kind of life, one plus one equals two. And you're like, whoa, 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 that's not what's happening. But what's nice is when we start to be conscious of the narrative that we tell and that we pass on and to be intentional about that. So it's cool to hear that that's the work you're doing. You're doing so much work, Michelle, in all different areas. <laughs> <laughs> and and sometimes I don't realize it because like, you know, with your kids, it's just, it's your kids. You're just doing what, you're doing your best to survive every moment, <laughs> every day and every year. Like you're just trying to survive, but at the same time, you know, you're living from your experience. Because you're talking about prioritizing time for yourself. So when you make those hour, two hour, 20 minute, when you make that time for yourself, then you're living out more healthy patterns for your kiddos to pick up. I still struggle with that. I, that is my next step in life is to actually carve out the me time that I need. I have a question for you. Oh, so you are a big fan of Michelle. Can you articulate what it is that you've encountered in her practice that has helped you during the season of your life? I think, I think that emotions are difficult for me, real true emotions and expressing them. I am so interested in art as therapy and have always felt like that's a safe space for me at baseline. And then kind of when, when you're, when you lose like a really significant person in your life, a lot of things get kind of rearranged in the house of your mind and emotions and spirit. And so I think what is so attractive and powerful is that Michelle, the way she speaks about her practice and her healing is really open. And there isn't a lot of should statements of like, well, you should believe this or how could you doubt that? So I think that obviously you start questioning things when you see someone you love suffer and pass. Um, so I've been in that questioning state and I have felt kind of similar, Michelle, kind of what you were saying of just like, I don't know if it's okay for me to question things about my religious upbringing or my faith and things like that. I don't, I don't necessarily feel comfortable in that. Like I am not very open about that and I kind of keep that to myself. And so I think Michelle just kind of 
it's kind of weird how we reconnected really, but it just was like the right place at the right time. I mean, we had a wonderful conversation at your father's visiting hours and I should show you Katie, these cards that she pulled during that practicum class. They're beautiful. And there are things like balance and clarity and, and the art is really compelling and beautiful to me. So I don't know. It just feels like a beautiful pool that I'm swimming in uh, currently. And I, I get to, I get to ask questions and it gets to be safe and the non-judgmental thing. Cause I have that inner critic in my head of like, why aren't you doing this perfectly? And <laughs> what are you doing? And what Michelle is just like, what's going to happen is going to be what's right. It's going to be what's supposed to happen. That letting go is something I have to practice. It's something I have to sh- kind of learn from. But yeah. Thank you for asking that question, Katie. Mm-hmm. It was not accidental that we connected again. <laughs> I just recognize such light in you in terms of starting this vocation and making this time for yourself that I wanted to give whatever platform I could to you, right? So that part of what we do when we have someone on the podcast is we share their Instagram account, we share information about them. um, And like, so that you can be like honored for the work that you're doing kind of in the world as well. That's awesome. My baby is screaming upstairs. Oh, friend. Enough alone time. Enough alone time. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing your time with us, Michelle, because you do have to prioritize so many things and so many people that um, have requirements of you, have a claim on your time. So thank you for talking with us and for, yeah, opening up a space to talk about people making these calls about what is going to benefit them and, and what's good for them and sort of encouraging people to to be the judgment source on that and not to outsource it to someone else who gets to tell them everything they should be doing but to kind of trust trust your instinct because that's what you led you to this vocation you just had an instinct when you encountered it that it was the right thing for you so thank you for sharing that well thank you for having me it was scary because well it's being open about who i am and what i believe and but it's also good it helps you grow to be honest and It was good. I I had a good time. Good. I'm so glad. (laughs) And Michelle, thank you for taking care of my friend who's far away from me right now. Because we live close enough, we can actually like hang out. Yeah, we'll have to do that. We'll have to do that. Michelle Pelton, artist, intuitive, and healer. The purpose of this meditation is for you to feel, to allow yourself the space to release that which is stuck, bottled up, or pushed down. It will give you the individual time that you need to sit with your feelings and release them from your body and from your soul. You may want to get some tissues and a pillow before we begin. If you are ready to begin, let's dive in. I ask my angels, guides, and the universe that this meditation be in the highest good of all involved. Getting comfortable where you are, whether it's sitting, laying, or however you are, feel yourself become grounded to the earth. We are going to begin with a few cleansing breaths to clear what's going on in our lives and to help us really be present in this moment. 
Now gently close your eyes. Breathe in. Feel the muscles in your face loosen. Exhale. Inhale. Relax your eyebrows, your cheeks, and your tongue. Exhale. Inhale. Relax your shoulders. Shake them out if you need to. And exhale. Good. Now I want you to think about what you have been keeping bottled up. Is it something small? Is it huge? Does it seem insignificant? No matter its apparent size, it matters to you. It's weighing heavy on your heart. This is no place for comparison. In this moment, only you and how you feel about it matters. How is it making you feel to keep it inside? Is it making you angry? Are you lashing out? Does it make you cry? Do you feel disconnected from the ones you love? Is it making you physically ill or worried? However you feel, whatever you feel, it's valid. You are allowed to feel this way. It doesn't matter if someone else is not feeling this way or are feeling differently than you are. This is your feelings and you are allowed to feel them. Own it. Allow yourself to feel. <laughs> 